This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Happy Memorial Day. Yeah, happy Memorial Day, everyone. Everybody knows every year here on Overdue, we do a big Memorial Day celebration. It's our annual Memorial Day sale. Every podcast is 50% off. Every podcast must go. What can we do or say to get Get you in this podcast (laughs) today? Podcast going home. In this you could podcast. Drive, you could drive this podcast off the lot today. But you're not allowed to drive it first. You have to just get in it and go. Mm-hmm. No test drives here. This is our book no. podcast um, yeah. where normally we read a book for the first time and talk about it and like why it's important and stuff. And then sometimes we do a different one. <laughs> we're going to, I mean, we're going to talk about why this is important. I'm sure. But yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be different kinds of important. <laughs> <laughs> what book are we talking about this week? Andrew, we're talking about the choose your own adventure book, uh, moon quest by Anson Montgomery. Yeah. In the numbering of the one that I've got, it's 26, but I think in the original series numbering, it's higher than that. It is uh, number 167. So Moon Quest, as you said, is by Anson Montgomery, who is the son of Ray R.A. Montgomery. Now, would, wouldn't you know it, the biography of him in the back of the book does not mention that. Does not mention that this book should be called Nepotism. <laughs> well, okay, interesting. That, that's what that. So that's one of my big questions going in. Is like one of two questions. One, do we get to the moon and do we have a quest on it? Like that's, yeah. we have a kind of a mixed track record in doing the thing that's on the cover of the book when yeah. we do these. Uh, question number two. Can Anson Montgomery hack it? Is he, you know, does he succeed on his own merits or is he just riding his dad's, he choosing to ride his dad's coattails and that's his life's adventure? You know? uh, yes, we shall find out. I can tell you, as we said, um, it was originally published in 1996. It was republished by Choose Co. in 2008. That's how it has the new number. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll and like you. a website and all that, all that fancy 2008 yes. stuff. Yes, uh huh. Web 2.0, not mm-hmm. Web no point oh, which is where we are right now. Um, web blah point oh. <laughs> uh, from his uh, Goodreads bio, I can tell you that Anson Montgomery went to Williams College with a degree in ancient history uh, mm-hmm. and worked in technology-related companies before being a freelance journalist. Um, and then authored four books in the original Choose Your Own Adventure series, Everest Adventure, Snowboard Racer, Moon Quest, which we're talking about today, and Cyber Hacker, 
as well as a few other multi-part series. Uh, lives in Vermont with his family. I did find an interesting interview. Uh, CBC, a Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, I don't know, uh, radio interview <laughs> uh, that he did with in 2015. And the reason he was he was doing a press tour in 2015, he was originally slated to write the very last uh, original Bantam Run Choose Your Own Adventure book um, called Escape from the Haunted Warehouse. Did it not work out? It never. It was never published. Um, and in the interview, he talks about people claiming that they'd read it, which <laughs> Bantam had put out a press release, but it never made it past like even initial drafting. And he, uh, they brought him back, like Choose Co. or whoever brought him back to write it in 2015 so you can just go and, when he thought he was out yes it was like a it was i think they probably decided to do it after his father passed in 2014 so they asked him to come back and write this book um and he, so wait where had others been keeping that that torch a burning bef- before that like i feel like 2015 is pretty well th- so late it was for the like the regular release of of the original choose your own adventure run it was the fact that they had like i think someone had found some pre-publication materials and drafts and they said oh this book never came out mm-hmm. we should actually do it and we should get in touch with anson and have him put it out like okay. in the meantime choose had already relaunched the brand Right, obviously. That's because so, we have the 2008 edition of yes, yes, Moon yes. Quest right here. Um, and it's a, it's a good interview. You should just Google CBC Radio Anson Montgomery. You'll find this really nice little 10-minute interview that talks about um, his dad starting the series and how his dad got unpaid labor out of his sons for making, him, making them playtest his books, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun. I uh, mean, when you're a kid, though, like, yeah. there's no... When your parents are making okay, if if a like a an overseer in a coal mine is making you do the work and not paying you, and you're a kid, that's unpaid labor. When yes. your parents are making you do work, and you're a kid, that is you have been paid for that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking as a parent, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, um, and I will. Do you know how expensive baby <laughs> snacks are. If I, if I could get my kid to help me write this Choose My Own Adventure book, I'm going to do it. Um, he did say, he had this like interesting takeaway, like the interview closes with the, the interviewer being like, so what do you like, did you take any lessons from this series as you became an adult? Like, what do you think is valuable about these books? Your dad clearly devoted his life to them, etc. Um, and he said, it's good to know that not everything is a happy ending. There are times Whoa. of conflict and pain. But if you keep reading, you're going to get somewhere better. That's a pretty, like, no, that's good. good. Like, hey, this is a, you can experience failure in these books. And you just turn the page, man. Just like Bob Seeker said, turn the page. <laughs> Sometimes in books, there's a bad ending, though, and there's no more book to read after yeah that. you can't keep reading till it gets better because that just has a bad end <laughs> but then you just get another book there's always mm-hmm. another book that's true that's true all right we should get we've, into we've the... almost read all of them yeah by now podcast but yeah i think there's surely only... weird surely we're getting close to the end there's probably only 500 books mm-hmm. ever we'll read all of them 
Um, Andrew, do you want to uh, lay out if if, he, if people have never listened to one of our choose your own adventure episodes before? How are we going to do this? What are the rules, if there even are any? Help me out. Craig and I both own. We're the proud owners of a of a pristine, crisp new copy of yep. Moon Quest. Yeah, and we have not crack the spine on this before now except to check and make sure that we do indeed have the same printing uh but we are going to be reading the book aloud we're going to do the voices yep we're going to make the choices <laughs> and we're gonna <laughs> do the voices make the choices and we're going to make some noises we're going to read this book to you, and we're going to try and make it through. We're going to try and make it out alive. Uh, we informally usually try to give ourselves like three endings or three lives, depending on how long we go. Yeah. But, you know, we play it by ear. Usually the goal is to get it inside of an hour or an hour and ten minutes. Yeah. And we are allowed to put our fingers in a page to... You know, bookmark it for later. So if we meet an untimely death, or if we don't make it to the moon, or if we don't have a quest, we can come back, and we can see what would have happened the other the other way. Yes, that all that makes sense to me. That sounds like how we've usually done it. So I'm glad that there are no surprises. Um, not this time. Not this time. You always hate it when I try to surprise you when we get on to do our, <laughs> our book podcast. Um, let's just talk about the cover of this book real quick. Um, is Earth, this the original cover or do you know I do not know oh okay, we should mention just, the, the illustrations in our edition are by Vladimir Zemianov who was born in August 1964 in the Republic of Moldavia of the former USSR um, went to college there um, Moldavia sounds like the fake country they would make up for a Netflix well, Christmas that's movie that's mean to a whole republic of people <laughs> but sure I get it. I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. It, it is unfortunate that many of those names sound so similar in the yeah. English language. Yeah. So the illustrators from Genovia. And what let's see. Usually there's not a lot of like other <laughs> stuff happening in this. So the cover is like a spaceman with yep. a holding a some kind of a cord. It yeah, does scan I feel sort like, of as a as a source. I feel like normally when you go for a spacewalk, the tether is like to your belt, and this space person, this guy's just kind of hanging, just kind of free swinging. Uh-huh. Um, we the moon is there. There might be like a city or at There's least like some a base, a lab, yeah. um, and the Earth's in the back. Looks like the domes from uh, Chrono Trigger. It does look like the Chrono Trigger domes. Um, and the the Earth is in the background, a very Western Hemisphere centric depiction of the earth uh i'm only seeing north so this, and we south are America. on earth we're on earth's moon you we, say <laughs> and there appears to be a big storm happening in the you know above the arctic right now but i'm oh, sure that won't factor for, into yeah. our story here uh so if you crack the spine of this bad boy i've got kids love reading shoes around adventure and you can tell this is sort of a modern take because this is formatted to look like a text message exchange really with like little is. speech bubbles. Uh, I love these books because I get to read them more than once, says Jade, age 10. 
yay, I didn't die. It was so fun. I felt like I'd turned into a werewolf. I don't know if that's going to happen in this book. Uh, Yeah, these feel like maybe they're about the series, not about the book specifically. I think the books are really eventful and fun. I am still alive so far, says Zinnit, age nine. Yes. I, too, am still alive so far. (laughs) I am still alive so far. I like that you can choose. So if you want to choose something, you can do it, says Colin, age 10. Oh, man. And then if you go to the, I mean, you you know, you flip, you see alternate cover art with some astronauts like climbing. Like a moon mountain. Column. Yeah. Uh, you've got a list of other titles in the Choose Your Own Adventure series. Now, if you go all the way to the back, you will find fun moon and solar system facts. Oh, whoa. Like the moon has had 24 human visitors that we know of. Minerals of, of that we know of? Mm-hmm. I mean, I added that we know of. It just seems presumptive. There's and a then p- it goes through all the uh, all the moons of... Well, some of the moons of the solar system is how the page is clearly labeled. So I yes. shouldn't say all of the moons, but, <laughs> but there are a lot of the a lot of other moons are represented here. People, w- this is on the last page. Minerals of the moon. People wonder, could we mine minerals we need here on Earth from the moon? Elon Musk would say the answer is yes, but it would take special tools and processes, huh? And indentured servitude. Yeah, some real Blade Runner stuff would have to go on there. Um, I think it's so dumb for our moon that like mars has like phobos and jupiter has europa and saturn has hyperion and uranus has titania and our moon is just called the moon well but okay here's why we have done a better job name like let's give our moon a cool name you know okay I want okay. I like I like that argument. I was gonna come back with the very pedantic. Now listen, we named Moon Moon. It was the very first moon that we ever met, so we just called it Moon. I mean, we and call it, it is, the Moon, which also is its own kind of problematic. There's other <laughs> kind. There's other moons. <laughs> it's like we called Earth the planet. We're being really offensive to the moon. I hadn't thought about that. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, should hmm. we call it? Is there like a term in a different? We Luna is just moon. Like that's not affection. Like hmm. it's. I mean, it's better than just regular moon, I guess. But I'm just. I if we got scientists who listen, probably. So, scientist, if you're out there, could you maybe get a flashier name for the moon? Just get put some razzle dazzle on it. Hype rock. Hype rock. Yeah, it's like a party rock. Ooh, party rock. Party rock. We could call it the party rock. <laughs> party rock. They right. only well, listen to is... LMFAO and Black Eyed Peas on party rock. <laughs> This has gone on long enough. Let's get into the book. Okay. Shall we? I will read the beware and warning page, and then Andrew will take over with the first part of the story. Absolutely, I will. Uh, it says, beware and warning. This book is different from other books. You and you alone are in charge of what happens in this story. There are dangers, choices, adventures, and consequences. You must use all your numerous talents and much of your enormous intelligence. <laughs> much of <laughs> A wrong decision could end in disaster, even death. But don't despair. At any time, you 
can go back and make another choice, alter the path of your story, and change its result. Your home is a young nation on the moon called Tycho Colony. You live, work, and go to school beneath a glass dome facing the Earth. You are excited to be among the first humans living in Tycho Colony, but that doesn't mean it will be easy. Whether you scavenge the far side for signs of alien life or brave the moon's dark inner tunnels, good luck to you. All right, Andrew, we're we're a member of Tycho Colony. Sets the stage. Yeah. All right, first page, we've got an illustration by our Moldavian friend. Uh, It is is the moon colony. We're walking around in spacesuits in sort of a nice, shiny-looking... Like a sort public of, mall, like an outdoor yeah, mall. Yeah, like we're in the we're in the mall. We're gonna go to Dollar Tree and get some milk duds <laughs> to sneak into the movie theater. Yeah. Um, and there's like some vegetation in there. It looks nice. Yes. I mean, it looks like a mall, but it looks like a mall, but it looks nice. But then right on the other side of the dome from the vegetation, there's moon craters to there's show moon, to yeah, show us because yeah. to show that we're on the moon and not in Newport, New Jersey. <laughs> Correct. Yes. <laughs> Uh, okay, page one. The year is 2053, and you are living in the moon. <laughs> your home lies underground, cut from the cold rock. You've lived your whole life on Luna, the moon's official name. Oh, well, well, well. Your parents were born on Earth where humanity originated. <laughs> glad that they laid that out. <laughs> but they joined an elite group of moon dwellers before you were born. Earthlings are stuck where they started. You are moving out to explore the universe. Each year, the colony in which you live, called the Tycho Colony, grows larger. More and more people come to live here permanently. Most of the new arrivals are scientists, but many are just ordinary people doing ordinary jobs. With over 100,000 people living on Luna, the economy has expanded beyond that of a mere research base. Also, the recently established Mars Colony has created a boom in the manufactured goods shipping business. The idea of declaring independence from Earth nations is growing as quickly as the population. Whoa. Whoa. Moon separatists. (laughs) The Tycho colony is made up of tunneled rock and large clear glass domes. Most people live in the old tunnels, but a few have moved into one of the main commercial centers in Big Dome. You don't understand why anyone would want to leave the tunnels. Underground seems to you like the natural place to live. Turn to next page. This is some amazing moon building. This is some good world building. Yes. Yes. Okay. Unlike your parents, you try to stay out of lunar politics. (laughs) Stick to to moon, mom and dad. Both your parents are avid advocates for the Lunar Independence Party, the party trying to gain self-rule for the moon. This is the best. Moon determinism. The Earthlings, they argue, have little understanding of the conditions on the moon. To further complicate matters, <laughs> over 20 independent Earth nations claim dominion over various aspects of the colony. That would be problematic, actually. It would be, yeah. Often one nation wants one thing and another wants the opposite. <laughs> that is Anson yeah, Montgomery. Thank you for describing <laughs> diplomacy to me. <laughs> the moon colonies would not survive without trade with the mother planet. And, of course, all your favorite television programs <laughs> come from Earth. Even your parents like to watch Earth sports from time to time, especially if they get a chance to make fun of an Earthling burdened by gravity attempting to make a successful slam dunk in a basketball championship. This uh, Michael Jordan, what oh, an idiot. He should be on the moon. Michael Jordan the fourth can't dunk in space. Um, <laughs> right now, you're not thinking of politics or 
sports, you have other worries on your mind. Not only do you have to finish studying for your final school exams, you must also wrap up an important project for one of your jobs. You suppose that people on Earth would consider going to school, working two jobs, and living in an artificially constructed and maintained environment a little odd, but it is the only life you've ever known. Go on to the next page. Is June 21st, the first day of summer. You can hardly wait. Summer and winter are pretty much the same on the moon, but the earthling tradition of summer vacation from school continues on Luna. Looking through the meter-thick, extra-durable blister glass at the landscape outside, it looks pretty much the same all the time. You know of snow and trees with changing leaves from the books and old movies. Before the polar ice caps melted on Earth, one could always see some white on the blue planet. But when it's winter on Earth, you can see white from snowfalls in their northern hemisphere. Right now the sun is shining, but the only colors you see are black, white, and gray. There is no atmosphere to make the sky any other color than the black of outer space, and the sun burns and crackles with a life impossible to see from Earth. Since each lunar day lasts about two weeks, there will be another ten days or so of sunlight where you live. What are you doing? A voice asks. This will be normal voice. Turning around. This is page four. You see Mm -hmm. your good friend and constant reality checker, to meal. Uh, nothing really. I was just thinking how living in the moon makes us different. Well, snap out of it, dreamer, Tamil says with a smile. Don't you ever wonder about how your life might have been completely different? You ask. Sure I do, but not when I'm busy cramming for calculus finals, Tamil sighs. Some of us are just lowly mortals, not super brains who can study and daydream at the same time. Checking your wrist, you quickly glance at the watch that your earthling grandfather sent you. (laughs) The the antique... It's 2053. Moon superiority complexes developed very quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, The antique gadget actually has hands. It's so fragile that an accidental bump could easily destroy it, but you like it anyway. Uh, Let's jet, or we'll miss the exam and have to spend all summer making it up. Um, Turn to page seven. Would you like to describe this image, Andrew, while I make a note that our main character's voice is like sort of a a John Mulaney child? Yeah, like an earnest sort of enthusiastic sort of voice. Yeah, I feel like I'm I'm channeling John Mulaney's imitation of himself as a child. Just like, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, So we are looking at two people talking to each other. It's, uh, I assume we are the one with the hood up so that we can imagine ourselves in the shoes of this character. I will say like many choose your own adventure books in the original run. And and maybe this is something that they changed for this, for uh, this printing, but many made it pretty implicitly clear that you were like a 12 year old boy specifically. (laughs) Yeah. And I appreciate that so far there's been no uh, indication one way or any other way. Yeah. That, yeah, we could just, we could be who we are in the context of this moon colony. Yes. <laughs> and we're talking to our friend, uh, Tamil. We, we all and they have a cool moon headband they, also. They have a cool moon headband. Also, both of us have a moon pocket on our belt that looks like it could hold a cigarette pack. It is. I was going to say it looks like it holds our moon cigarettes. <laughs> but it's probably for something else. Yeah. Know. Maybe it's for moon cigarettes. Okay. Turn to page seven. We're Okay. Here we go. Yeah. I mean, it's just you just turn the page. Yeah. Uh, up to you. 
Uh, Tamil sighs again and without saying a word, reaches out and grabs the right hand tow rope strung along the low ceiling of the passageway to school. Suddenly he is halfway down the corridor. When the colony was first established, there were no tow ropes in the passageways, and owing to the moon's lower gravity, people often hit their heads on the ceilings. Dangling by your arm for a while does not strain you when you weigh only 12 kilos, 26 pounds, for the Americans in the... Yes. Uh, your mass is always 50 kilograms, both here and on Earth, but everything is about six times heavier on the big planet. After six corridor switches and four level changes, you make it to school. You look at your watch again. You still have three minutes to spare. You deposit your backpack in your locker and head toward the testing booths. Each student takes his or her own individual booth and shuts the door. As soon as the door is closed, the computer simulation begins. Although you know that the person across from you is, the o- is only a computer-generated hologram, you still find yourself reacting as if he were real. Good morning. A warm, deep male voice begins as the figure looks up from a stack of holographic books. The face nods up and down slightly as the voice speaks. It is a typical man's face, but the hologram gives the student a slightly greenish It is a, a typical man's tint. face. It is a typical man's face, but the hologram gives the skin a slightly greenish tint. Please prepare yourself for today's exercise. We will be discussing and evaluating your progress in learning the theories developed by Sir Isaac Newton. Okay. Turn to the next page. Gravity, gravity, gravity. We got to right, describe what Tamil's doing in this picture. Yeah, Tamil. With, with his moon cigarette pack in with his pocket the, still. Is wearing some cool moon kicks uh, on their feet and is swinging on the tow rope. Uh, unclear from this illustration, like the direction of the swinging, it seemed from the language that we were going down into school. We are going over and up. Oh, oh. Up. Well, I mean, level changes could be either way. I guess. Yeah, could I don't really know. Um, yeah, but six quarter switches and four level changes. I like the idea that you can like swing around the moon. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Hmm. And I like that we're going that we're talking about gravity on this test. Okay. All right. Two hours later, you feel like you've been interrogated by the secret police in a bad movie. At least now the ordeal is over. You think you did okay, but before you have time to settle down and collect yourself, you get your grade back. Congratulations, you have passed with a grade of 97%. You are eligible for highest honors and special placement in the Summer Scientific Corps. Let's go to the Ponix Park, Tamil says enthusiastically. When you meet him out. Ponics. Ponics. Oh, like hydroponics. Like hydroponics. Ah, okay. Let's go to the Ponics Park, Tamil says enthusiastically when you meet him outside the boots. I need to see some green after that stressor. Emma said she was going there after her exam. You agree that the hydroponics park is just the place to go. Even though you love the moon and would not want to live anywhere else, sometimes you feel the need to get away from the artificiality of your your man-made surroundings and the inhuman sterility of the moon's surface. The park is a large (laughs) underground cavern where much of the Tycho colony's food and oxygen are produced. Rows and rows of tomatoes, beans, corn, zucchini, and countless other vegetables reach upward toward the bright artificial sunlight burning in strips along the ceiling. The plants grow long and stringy in the weak gravity of the moon, but they taste pretty much the same as vegetables imported from Earth. Wow, that's a weird... Like a, just a long, How? skinny carrot, un, unaffected oh, by Earth's gravity. Can you imagine a potato not burdened by Earth's gravity? I think asparagus would actually be oh. a weapon. It would be a spear grass. Yeah. Huh. Next page. Do you just? This is a short one. Yeah, I'll just, just take it. I'll just take it. Yeah. 
Um, in one section of the cavern, an artificial stream runs along the ground and real trees reach up to the ceiling. Heavy vines hang from the canopy of trees, perfect for swinging, uh, perfect for swinging from when the scientists and gardeners aren't looking. It's your favorite place to go when you need to relax. After you first brought Tamil there, he kept coming back, and now just to bug you, insists he discovered it. This is also the place where you both classic met... Classic to me. <laughs> classic to meal. This is also the place where you both met Emma Burns. The three of you spend a lot of time in the Ponix Park. Turn to the next page, Andrew. Smoking up <laughs> the Ponix Park. <laughs> The trees are tall and thin. Branches leap out from the trunk in a dance of brown and green. You've seen pictures of trees on Earth, and they look stumpy and short compared to these wonders of good soil and light gravity. Strict quarantine controls have succeeded in keeping most common diseases and pests from harming the vegetation. Even in this part of the biggest hydroponics facility on the moon, there are only about 100 trees, mostly maples, spruce, and birch. But that is enough for right now. Uh, that's Tamil. I don't care if I never meet a three-dimensional end space that needs to have its volume discovered again, Tamil says as you plunk down at the base of a green-tinged poplar. So come on, tell me, what was your grade, genius? I passed, you say, as Tamil looks pleased, thinking your silence means he got the better grade. Before he can pressure you any further, you're rescued by Emma's arrival. Hey guys, don't look so sad. Summer's here, she says as she plops down <laughs> next to the two of you. Did you flunk your exams or something? Okay, go to the next page. Keep it going. Can you give me us again? Uh, us is like, um, I'll just do this next line for you. Yeah, yeah. What are you going to do for the summer? What are you going to do for the summer? You ask your two friends, ignoring Emma's question. I don't know. I guess I'll help my dad carve out tunnels for more workspace, and I'm supposed to help fix those solar collectors over in the middle of the basin, Tamil replies. How about you? I'm not sure. My tour guide job's been pretty slow lately. No ships of tourists, and the geology lab hasn't yet told me if they want me to go on the exploration trip to the other side. The far side could be really cool, Emma says. When will you find out? Turn to page 13. Okay. So Emma, there's an illustration here. It looks like Emma and Tamil. I don't know where you are. Um, I think we are the hooded figure standing in the background. Okay, sure. And Emma, <laughs> Emma has some big earrings and a cool top knot. She's very like Jersey Shore. It's like it's like honestly, yeah. It's a little. It's like combine Ariana Grande with Jersey Shore, and you're mm -hmm. in this cool geodesic dome with some plants. Um, hopefully today, you say, as you hear a, a loud beep from Tamil's wrist comm. Tamil punches in the access code to retrieve the information. He reads the display for a few seconds before turning to you. It's for you, he says with a dramatic sigh. I wish you would wear that beautiful Mark IV comm your dad gave you last year. It seems like the only transmissions I get are for you. Enough of the pity party and more info, Emma says, leaning over to read the display. Looking at the backlit display, so these are just Apple watches, right? Is that what this yeah. is? Okay. I mean, yes. Looking at the backlit display, you discover that there are actually two messages for you. One is from the Geolab asking if you would like to come on the exploration mission. The other is from your boss, Al Cho, telling you that a special diplomatic ship from Earth is scheduled to arrive this afternoon. He wants you to guide the bigwigs around <laughs> for a few days. Both messages <laughs> contain apologies to Tamil for the info the info 
Infotrusion. Infotrusion. Apologies to Jamil for the infotrusion as well as plans for immediate response. A moment ago, you had no idea what you were doing for this summer. Now you have to make a choice. You've never been to the far side, but it would also be exciting to show the diplomatic mission from Earth around what should you do. Andrew, if you decide to go on the mission to the far side of the moon, turn to the next page. If you want to act as a tour guide, turn to page 30. All right. I'm very excited to make our first choice of the book, but first, I think we need to take a break. Okay, see you on the other side. Of the moon. Ah, spoiler. <laughs> Andrew. Craig. Sometimes I need help making the choices that are presented to me in life. <laughs> Boy, I wish somebody out there could make it as easy as turning a page in a book. I don't know that they can, but I can tell you about our sponsor this week, BetterHelp, which makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating with them in a safe, private, online environment in under 48 hours, and you can send a message to your counselor at any time. The service is available for clients worldwide, and licensed professional counselors have a broad range of expertise. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash overdue. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, betterhelp.com slash overdue. Get help making choices. All right, Andrew, you've had some time to think. Are you going to go to the far side of the moon? Or are you mm-hmm. going to be a tour guide for visitors from the big planet, as we referred to it earlier? I I mean, this isn't actually a choice, right? Like, yeah. Do do I want to be a, a t- college tour guide or do I want to go to now the listen. far reaches of the moon? Do I want to be some huge, stupid nerd who gives college tours? Now, <laughs> speaking as someone who gave college tours, let oh, me shoot. Say, I, for, I forgot. Let me say <laughs> that you're making the right choice. <laughs> But you saw Michael J. Fox that time. I but I never gave him a tour. I just saw that he was gonna get one. I made bad choices. <laughs> yeah, we're going to the far side of the moon. Okay. We're gonna see if Gary Larson is over there. I guess <laughs> some chickens and cows and stuff. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Normally, you would jump at the chance to guide people, especially important diplomats, around some of your favorite spots. But the opportunity to go on an extensive extensive research mission is too good to pass up. The mobile operation will be exploring some of the old volcanoes, mountains, and fault zones that give Luna its geographic personality and quirks. Even though you'll be with professionals, you know there is a certain amount of danger. Working outside, far from any well-established habitation zone, you run the risk of injury or worse. Still, all that you can think about is being involved in important research. There are also rumors about strange beings that live on the far side. <laughs> of course, you do not believe them most of the time. So you're, go- so you're going to the far side, Tamil says, stressing the word far. How did you know? I just made up my mind. 
Easy. That's what I would have chosen, Tamil says with a smile. Besides, I had a 50% chance of being right. Classic Tamil. Classic Tamil. You head back to your home tunnels, making a mental list of what you'll need to bring. The research equipment will be taken care of by the expedition manager. You get out your no-pressure suit. You'll need it for exploring Luna's surface. In a well-rehearsed routine, you carefully check the suit for holes and wear spots. Uh, I guess I'll just yeah, keep going. The shiny material feels stiff and brittle, but you know it's durable. It will have to withstand the extremes of heat and cold that characterize the lunar weather and the jagged rocks that make up much of the landscape. The entire suit ensemble is amazing, but the helmet is <laughs> truly a piece of technological mastery. A polarized glass visor allows you to go from pitch dark to glaring sunshine while retaining a perfect field of vision. Miniaturized controls for a wide range of functions nestle comfortably next to the wearer's head. The silvery material that forms the body of the suit is laced with control nodes connected to the helmet. This feels like an infomercial for this suit specifically. For this helmet. And then yes. there's a drawing of the cool spacesuit and helmet. Turn yeah. to the next page. Okay. Uh, all you have left to pack are toiletries and clothes. You also remember to get out your wrist comm. Its directional finder, which is hooked up to a satellite network, will come in handy if you get lost on the lunar planes. You also download your geology texts and a few books you have been meaning to read onto your wrist comm. Now you just have to tell your parents. Oh, mom, you start. I just found out I've been excited to. I've been invited to go on the expedition. But Don't I, blow a good voice on the mom. I don't yeah. think we're going to be talking to mom a whole lot. <laughs> but I thought the expedition wasn't for yeah, a while perfect. yet, she says. <laughs> and I was hoping you would talk to us before making a final decision. Yeah, but I have to go right now or I can't go at all. Oh, I got a 97 on my exam this morning. Your mom's worried expression softens with pride. Well, I guess that excellent grade buys you some freedom. You can go, but please be very careful. You got a good grade. Go <laughs> die on die. the other side of the moon, son. Take it away, Andrew. Thanks, Mom. You grab your bag and rush through the airlock to the main corridor. The note from Dr. Nasir, the leader of the expedition, said to meet the team at the central staging station for transport. You travel through a maze of corridors and drop chutes. The departure point is next to the main airlocks to the surface. When you arrive, you see men and women scurrying among huge piles of gear. Looking at one of the viewports, you see the vehicle that will transport the team over the rugged lunar territory. It looks vaguely insectoid, although you have seen pictures of such creatures. Although you have only seen pictures of such creatures. The vehicle has rows of mechanical legs that are folded up in pairs on each of the three segments of the quote-unquote bus. <laughs> Normally, the buses travel on huge spike wheels, but even those can't manage some of the terrain you will, you will encounter. When the bus reaches rocky terrain, the legs will slowly extend to slowly maneuver through the rough landscape. So we're on a Wild Wild West spider robot, basically. I love it. Moving through the chaos of people, instruments, and gear, you find Dr. Nasir and check in. You'd expected Dr. Nasir would be a stern, forbidding academic, but the tall, handsome woman greets you very warmly. You locate a nice corner out of the way and try to make yourself comfortable. No sense getting in the way, you think as you shut your eyes. Wake up! The time has come! A voice booms into your dreams. What? Where? You mumble. Oh! Doctor, are we ready? Turn to page 19. Like many Earthlings on Luna for the first time, Dr. Nasir looks a bit disoriented, but her intelligence is obvious. Now you can pick any voice you want. I was going with the booming to like intrude on the dreams, so we can say that that was like a 
a dream subjective voice. experience of the voice that is not necessarily indicative of what Dr. Nasir actually sounds yeah. like. I am fully prepared for this mission. Dr. Nasir tells you all firmly in a short opening speech. I may be earthborn, but I grew up in Egypt and am familiar with a climate you'd find surprisingly similar to the moonscape. In the desert, just as on the moon, we study geologic subtleties that most people would lose patience with. Dr. Nasir's speech is short and informative, and you gather that she is wise and very sharp. She lacks a sense of humor. That although she is wise and very sharp, she lacks a sense of humor. Okay, so my vocal ASMR makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, this is good. Now, I'm going to go get some scissors and cut some hair really close to the mic <laughs> while you do this next part. Well, I can't, I can't, like, we don't have the, f- we don't have Foley work for these yet, so I can't do, like, shoes crunching on moon dust. So oh, I we figured... should. When you get to your new house, we yeah. should develop a choose-your-own-adventure Foley <laughs> kit. <laughs> <laughs> We're and ra- really, we just really radio lab this this stuff, you know. <laughs> um, we are ready, she says. Let's get on board. Putting your suit on and tucking your helmet beneath your arm, you prepare for the journey. Even though the bus is pressurized, everyone remains suited up at all times. In a crash, there's no time for dressing. Uh, Italian or ranch? <laughs> While you are trying to find where to sit, you hear a familiar voice. Uh, Andrew, you want to help me with uh, Sarah Burns, Emma's sister here? I think they sound the same. Okay. How'd you end up on this mission? Sarah Burns asked with a smile on her face. Emma's sister used to be shy around you, but that seems to have worn off. I just saw your sister at the Ponics Park, you say. She didn't mention you were going on this trip. Yeah, well, I didn't know until right after exams myself, but here I am. Good to see you, Sarah. I'm sure the expedition will be fun. Here, I'll help you get ready for the ride. I've done this a couple of times already, she says. And there's a... (laughs) What? (laughs) I just... Like, why introduce a new character who's a sister of a character who we've already met? Like, why why can't they just be the same Just bring Emma. (laughs) But there's a shot of Dr. Nasir, I suppose? I'm not sure. Yeah, Dr. Nasir standing in front of a big, like whale looking spaceship that might be the bus it's our it's our spider robot yeah Yeah, okay take it away once you're strapped in dr nasir comes by and checks up on you you're nervous but you don't want her to know everything's fine you tell her oh one more thing says dr nasir on this trip you'll have an opportunity to learn more about the specific aspects of each job i'll be working with the analysis team but you might want to learn more about the machines we use Driving one of these rigs almost requires a degree itself, and operating the exoskeleton survey equipment is an art form. Let me know. Thanks, Doctor. <laughs> Thanks, Doctor. This is going to take some thinking. You would like to work with Dr. Nasir. You know she could teach you an incredible amount in the lab, but the excitement of being in control of these powerful machines draws you as well. If you decide to work with Dr. Nasir, go on to the next page. If you decide to learn... How to run the machines, turn to page 40. I feel like we want to bookmark this one. This could be a pretty early, that, a pretty yes. big split. Yeah, that feels right. Um, I, I'm having fun with Dr. Nasir, so like I'm tempted to go that direction. I don't know which direction. I can tell that Montgomery is laying the groundwork for maybe we're going to meet some aliens. I don't know how to get there. Like, you don't know how to get to the aliens. I don't know how to get to the aliens. I don't know if it's the machines 
I don't know what could happen in this lab, Andrew. I mean, do you do machines, I guess is the question. In your heart of hearts, do you feel like you do machines? I'm just running down the list of the original Ninja Turtles and which one Mm -hmm. I am most like. Even though I liked to play Leonardo on the playground, I am probably most like a Donatello, so I do do machines. Let's go to page... I felt like I was a Donatello of the two What am I, a Michelangelo? I thought you were a Raphael, you know? You're (laughs) you're so irreverent. I'm cool but rude? (laughs) Yeah. You, how are you? You're cool, but rude. You're both Donatello and Raphael. <laughs> I mean, if we each have to claim two turtles, then I then... could be Leo and Ra- and Mikey. Yeah, you're a party dude and whatever the other one does. What do they say about Leo? Uh, isn't he the leader? That's so boring. God, <laughs> yeah. it's like psych- big Cyclops energy. Anyway, we're going to page 40. I want to do machines. It's my right, turn to do, do machines. machines. All right, let's do machines. Uh, you came on this mission to explore the lesser known areas of the world you live in. Doing lab work would be like staying back in Tycho Colony, but without the comforts. As these thoughts go through your head, you look out the forward viewport. The scratched blast glass distorts your view, but you can see the wide gray plain of the crater floor. Fine dust is kicked up by the tires, but with no wind or air, it settles down quickly. Hadn't thought about that. And you know that your tracks will stay there until something else comes this way. I thought about because I've been watching the moon show. I know I don't have the streaming service that lets me watch the moon show, but yeah, we can talk about that. Okay. After a while, the mountains that form the crater's rim gets closer and closer. The peaks are jagged and sharp. Dark shadows alternate with bright spots of brilliant reflection. Looking at the mountains, you do not see how the bus can possibly make it over them. You have seen some pretty amazing things in your life. Feats that would be impossible on earth. Buggies being lifted over high crevices by flimsy-looking lines pulled by well-anchored men, and radio transmitters supported by towers a centimeter in diameter and over a hundred meters tall. No atmosphere and light gravity allow for many incredible possibilities, but you still are doubtful about making it over the mountains. Still wondering about the upcoming ascent, you feel a tap on your shoulder. You turn to see an older man with a relaxed manner. Howdy. He says, <laughs> my name's John. I'm supposed to. I'm made of vocal fry. <laughs> I'm supposed to show you how you. I'm supposed to show you how we work some of this stuff. Go to the Gross. next page. <laughs> nice to meet you, John. You reply. What stuff? How we get this bus over the mountains. For one thing, I'll tell you, it's a sight to see. Okay, you say doubtfully. (laughs) What should I do? Asking questions is a good start. Even if you think it sounds stupid, go ahead and ask. (laughs) Lives have been lost by folks who don't ask enough questions, John tells you. But right now, you just stay there. When the bus stops in about ten minutes, we'll go outside and set up the winch. The ten minutes seem to take forever, but eventually John comes back and tells you to get ready. You carefully align the contact points of your helmet. Once it's on, you bring up the displays, and everything seems to check out. A layer of air about a centimeter thick separates your skin from the suit. This internal air pressure acts as a buffer against falls and provides a few extra seconds if you have a puncture. Let's go, John says over the helmet radio system. He turns and heads to the airlock. You both get in. You hear the rushing of air being sucked out for reuse. Then you can't hear anything except for your own breathing. Moving out carefully, you crawl down the ladder and jump the last five meters to the moon's surface. 
I feel very happy with this choice. We're already walking along the moon. We oh might man, as well be walking on the moon. John has some sort of spear, like a moon <laughs> spear, <laughs> sort of moon spear that he's showing to us. There appears to be a moon tank in the background. It's like tank, but also excavator. Oh, I and then love our it. spider robot is yes. There, of course, uh, John lopes over to a big pile of gleaming metal machines. Grabbing one, he pulls out what looks like a huge gun and turns to you. He yes. kneels on one leg and starts adjusting it. This is the line gun. Your helmet radio <laughs> crackles. I'm going to shoot a placement up to that ledge on the closest mountain. You see John point to the dark mountain that dominates the area directly in front of you. Once we get up there, we'll pull the big winch up and that'll bring the bus up after us. Turn to page 44. Okay, you say, more than a little nervous. John stands, and before you realize it, he has shot a spike with a long metal cable trailing behind it. You see the spike crash into the side of the mountain and take hold. Give me your hand, John says. Prepare to witness some of the wonders of a low-gravity lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) You You put your gloved hand in his, and he hits the retract button. You both speed up the mountain to the ledge. You hold your breath the whole way up. Once you're both safely on the ledge, John removes a winch and pulley set from his backpack. Uh, The metal gleams under the harsh sunlight. John uses the line from the winch to pull up an even larger pulley system and engine from the bus. You sit down on a flat rock and watch him set everything up. After an hour, he tells you that the show is about to begin. Waving his hand and speaking through his radio, he tells the people working at the bus to connect a seal line. Turning toward you, John asks, Want to throw the switch? You quickly answer yes. The lever to turn the winch on is small, but when you flip it, you feel the vibration through the soles of your boots. You look over the ledge and see the bus lift up on its rear tires as the tightening line pulls the front end up. Then you're able to see how the bus's insect-like legs work. And uh, we got on the opposite page of this an illustration where John is holding us. We are just kind of hanging off this moon column. The sun is shining bright and the moonscape is below. Yeah. And you want to just take both of these? Yeah, I will. The legs extend and find holds in the rocky face of the cliff. You see the bus climb slowly but steadily up toward the ledge. You are amazed at the way its whole body moves like something alive. We got the idea from spiders, John says (laughs) on the radio. Stealing spiders IP to make our big spider robot. I've seen pictures of spiders, you say, but I've never seen a live one. Someday you should check out Earth, John says. Well, getting political. Come on, John. Right now I want you to check I want you to watch the bus and make sure the winch is turned off when it gets to the lip of the ledge. We don't want to pull the bus onto the ledge and have it bang into the rocks. I'm gonna go up to that higher ledge and set up the second stage, he says, pointing to a rock outcropping. Stay here. Okay. 
John shoots another line out and is gone. You see him up above working on working on finding a secure spot. Turning your attention back to the bus, you watch its slow progress up the steep rocks. You're mesmerized by the slow movement of its legs as they climb with careful precision. Suddenly, a strong tremor shakes the earth. You throw your arms out instinctively, but you bounce forward and then are thrown face down to the ground. Oh, no. There's an illustration of the bus being pulled up the moon mountain. Sure. <laughs> we got the idea from spiders. We got the idea from spiders. <laughs> a rock crashes next to you. You struggle to get back on your feet. You call to John and the bus on your radio, but there's no reply. The bus slowly continues its climb up the cliff face, but you see that a rock has hit its nose and dented it. What should you do? John has left another line gun behind, but he told you to stay here and wait for the bus. You don't know what will happen if you turn, this wi- turn the winch off. If you turn... The winch off and go see if John is all right. Turn to page 57. If you decide to wait for the bus to make it to the ledge, turn to page 73. Huh. This also is a good. Yeah, we're definitely bookmarking this. I feel like we're a go getter. We made the decision to to get out there and do some stuff. So I feel like turning the winch off and checking on John is something that we might do. Yeah, and also I think John is, you know, every one of these books we find like the breakout character, and I think that John, John might be it. John and his spider technology is we're <laughs> so far from spiders. <laughs> a standout character. All right, fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. Cool action shot of us of somebody's butt. Somebody's butt over a moon rock, swinging on a rope. Um, my turn. Yeah. If John is hurt, immediate attention might be the only thing that will save him. You look down at the bus. All of its legs are securely wedged into crevices of rock. Trying the radio once more, you get ready to turn the winch off. As you flip the, the lever into the off position, you feel another trembling through your body, but this one comes from the settling of the bus, not from a rock slide. Everything seems so still and silent, you can hardly believe you are in the middle of an emergency. No time to think about that right now, though. You have to make sure John is all right without endangering anyone else everyone else uh taking the spare line gun you aim carefully knowing you have to do it correctly the first time you squeeze the trigger and hold your breath as the spike pulls the sturdy line behind it the impact is silent and you hope that the hooks are wedged in tightly the last thing you want is to fall backward down a cliff onto sharp rocks the last thing the last thing with one last look at the now stationary bus you hit the retract button before you realize that you are flying straight for a dark boulder reacting instinctively you use your legs to push off it as soon as you get near you scream swinging out of control and losing your orientation pain flares in your shoulder as you collide with unyielding rock you've never been more thankful that the no pressure suit is so strong this ascent is not nearly as smooth as when john was in charge but at least you have stopped spinning turn to the next page Almost before you know it, you're at the lip of the second ledge. You look over the top and see the remains of the rock slide. There's no sign of John. Clambering up, you search frantically while calling John on your radio. You get no answer, but you do see something shiny buried in the rock pile. Now you're really, really scared. John, you whisper, I hope you're okay. As you approach the rock pile, you realize that the shiny object is John's glove sticking oh no. out of the debris. Crouching down, you peer into the darkness where the rest of his body must lie. Luckily, a large flat rock lies directly over him, which may have shielded him from the crushing weight of the other rocks. That's really How- optimistic. <laughs> However, you won't be able to pull him out because of the angle. You can't even tell if he's alive or not. Since there's no way to find out if John's okay, you will have to act as if he is. <laughs> 
You look around for something to move the large flat rock and debris off him. You notice the winch beyond the rockfall area. It looks as though one or two small stones might have hit it, but you think it might still work. No harm in giving it a shot. Working carefully, you set up the winch so that it will let lift the flat rock off John and away from him. The only thing you're worried about is rubble falling from above the rock. You don't want to crush John in the process of trying to save him. With the hook firmly in place, you start the winch and watch as it slowly goes to work. The steel cable tightens and the rocks shift and move. After a few minutes, you stop the winch. Crawling in carefully, you grab John's outstretched hand and pull. At first, he feels stuck, but then you're able to slowly drag his body out. Okay. With John clear of the rubble, you can get a better idea of how badly hurt he is. Most of the lights on his external life-reading display have dipped into the amber section. But this just means he is hurt and not un- uh, hurt and unconscious, not in grave danger. So amber is the color of his energy, is what, is what you're saying. <laughs> he has 311 HP right now. You have a small med kit with stimulants, but you're not sure if you should use them on him. Man, this is a video game. While you're taking care of John, you feel another shake. Your stomach cramps with fear as you turn toward the ledge. Looking down, you see the bus rocking against the walls. Even with the legs to support it, the constant shifting from the after effects of the moon quake has slightly dislodged the winch mechanism, and the cable seems to be slowly playing out. You hope that the bus will just lower itself to the floor, but you're not sure what will ha- that that will happen. Maybe if you use the stimulant, John will wake up and be able to tell you what to do, but you don't have much time. If you use the cable gun in reverse to rappel down to the first ledge, you might be able to switch the winch. The problem is that you never saw John use the gun to go down, and getting up to this ledge was almost more than you could handle. But you must make another life or death decision now. Andrew, if you try to wake John with the stimulant, turn to page 85. If you decide to go down to the first ledge, turn to page 49. I have been woken up abruptly by stuff. And I'll tell you that my first impulse is not to give good life-saving advice. <laughs> so I don't like, I hope that John is okay, but I don't, I'm not going to try and wake him up with stimulant and then try to get information. Out okay. Of I think okay. we should go down to the ledge. Okay. 49. Take us to 49. There's no way you can risk hurting John anymore. His experience would be of tremendous help, but you have to do this job on your own. You look over at his still form and get a chill. One of those rocks could have easily fallen on you. The bus is still down here. It's down there. And you have to make sure no one gets hurt. Maybe if you shoot the cable just a little bit above where you are now, you can lower yourself down to the first ledge. This idea doesn't sound particularly attractive, but at the moment, you don't have any others. Only a few hours ago, you had never even seen a cable gun, and now the lives of many people depend on how well you use one. Putting the hook into the nozzle of the gun, you aim and shoot in one smooth motion. You pull on the cable, testing it, and it appears to hold. You take the loose cable in your hands and slowly lower yourself. Since you're not being pulled by the miniature motor, there's no sudden jerking to upset your balance. If you weren't so scared, this might be fun. Everything is going well, and that makes you nervous. One of the oldest sayings around is, Luna never lets it go the way it should. Even though you know that's just a silly saying, you've seen too many small accidents turn serious. As you kick out from the wall of rock, you feel the cable slip a little. It catches and then seems as sturdy as ever, but fresh fear grows within you. Turn to page 61. Okay, fresh fear, huh? Uh Uh-oh. Whoa! 
Another little slip. This time you almost smashed into that rock face. You look down and see that you are about 50 meters from the ledge. The moon may have weak gravity, but momentum and mass would still smash you to bits on the hard rocks. All you can see is dark shadow and burning sun. You're almost there, just a bit further to go. 20 meters from the ledge, you feel confident that you're going to make it, and the bus is still holding. Of course, just when you gain confidence and relax, the cable lets go. Your fall is dreamlike. Your arms flail as the unanchored metal rope comes sliding down toward you, and then you hit. At first, you think you're paralyzed, but then the pain rushes in. Your vision starts to tunnel. Light and dark lose their meaning, but one thought holds your mind. You have to save the bus. Crawling the two meters to the winch takes all your willpower, but you switch the lever to the correct position. After that, you pass out. When you wake up in the hospital, you're confused until you see John's face. (laughs) Nice job, kid. You hear (laughs) through a thick fog of pain. You're a hero. The end. Whoa, we did it. We did it. We saved the bus. We had a moon quest. We saved the bus. Huh. I feel like we need to make at least one or two more like big choices. Oh, we definitely do. And I do like... I did want to get to where the bus was going instead of just having my ending be like bus, like speed, but on the moon. <laughs> well, it was just like you got a flat tire, but then you fixed it. Good job. The end. <laughs> moon quest. Moon quest. Um, so should we go back to the choice where we decide whether to work with Dr. Nasir or work with the machines or should we. Uh, try and wait for the bus to make it to the we ledge. go back to like mid John crisis. Like how, how much do you feel we need to explore the John crisis? I've, let's explore. Let's do this winch one. And then maybe it will hit a dead end soon. And we can go back to Dr. Nasir. All right. 73. Okay. Uh, so this is you. I just did that ending. Okay. You decide you'd better stay put as John has instructed. You look down at the bus and wonder why no one answers your calls. The bus continues its slow climb off the cliff face. Minutes tick by. You take a sip from the nozzle in your helmet. The water sucrose mix tastes horrible, but you can feel energy flow into your body. The bus has almost reached the lip of the ledge. The clear blast glass at the front should allow you to see into the control room and check that everyone is alright, but the sun's rays are shining directly on it. It's impossible to penetrate the glare. You turn the winch to stop position and see the bus settle. Maybe you should climb down to the airlock, you think. The airlock's operation is fairly simple, and you should be able to open it by yourself. Just as you are about to start the precarious climb down, you see the airlock's outer door revolve to the closed position. Hopefully this means that someone is using it, and not that a malfunction has caused it to lock. After a few more minutes, you see the airlock cycling again. You hold your breath until a suited figure carefully pulls itself from the doorway and looks around. Turn to the next page. Up here! Up here! You shout. But the figure does not turn toward you. You keep waving your arms and shouting until eventually the person does see you. Almost before you realize it, a shot from his or her cable gun has established a stable line on the ledge beside you. In only a few seconds, the figure is seemingly flying up toward you. Once he reaches you, you see by the face through the helmet's visor that it's one of the men you saw loading the bus earlier. What's going on here? A voice says as the man touches his helmet to yours, a backup way of communicating when radios are down. (laughs) We didn't know what was happening. The quake must have knocked out your radio. Are you all right? Not really, you answer. But right now, John needs help badly. 
I think he was hit by some of the rock. There's there is there really only one John on the moon right now. John needs help badly. I think he was hit by some of the rocks on that upper ledge. Since my radio's broken, I have no idea if he's okay or not. That's bad news. I have to check to make sure the bus is secure first. Then I'll go check on John. Even as he says this, he starts to work the control panel of the winch. You see the bus move slowly and carefully back down the cliff. Next page, Andrew. Would you believe they put a John on the moon? (laughs) John on the moon. In a little while, you see more people struggle sideways out of the airlock. They seem to be trying to bring a stretcher with them. Four people use line guns to get to the ledge where John is. You hope he's not hurt. Then you feel the wooziness of delayed shock hit you like another quake. You pass out. When you wake up, you see the bus at the bottom. There's no sign of the medical crew. The man who first came out of the airlock is shaking your shoulder. You see his lips moving, but hear only silence. Time to get down to the bus, you hear as he remembers to lean down. What about John? You ask. He'll be fine. He's sleeping right now. You're barely aware of being taken down to the bus. Hurtling down a sheer cliff face with only a thin line to hold you doesn't even register as dangerous after the events of the day. Dr. Nasir is waiting for you inside the airlock, and she takes you to your sleeping berth. As soon as you lie down, you fall asleep again, but your dreams are full of falling rocks and exploding mountains. (laughs) When you wake up hours later, you don't feel refreshed, but at least the adrenaline from the excitement is worn off. As you walk up the length of the bus, you see that John was not the only one hurt in the quake. The movement must have really shaken up the bus. A number of people are walking around with bandages and slings. She's like a breathy, but but not sexy, like ASMR. There you are, Dr. Dr. Nasir says behind you. I was wondering if you were ever going to wake up. We have to make some new plans since the unforeseen circumstance has altered our original goals. What do you mean? Well, she starts... Some people are going to go back into the emergency runners. With so many injuries and John in such serious condition, we decided to cut the mission back. We're going to continue, but with just a bare-bones crew. Does that mean you want me to go back? You ask. I think the decision should be up to you. Now you just... Now you know just how dangerous these expeditions can be. If you do choose to continue, we will have plenty of work for you. With so many people hurt, every pair of hands will be invaluable. Let me think about it for a moment. I'm still a bit <laughs> shaky, you tell her. Don't take too long. The emergency runner is leaving in 20 minutes, and they can't wait around unnecessarily. Unnecessarily. If you choose to stay with the expedition despite the danger, Andrew, turn to page 27. If you decide to go back to Tycho with John to make sure he is all right, turn to page 127. Danger. Danger. All right. My middle name is Danger. That's right. That's right. John, I'm a I'm a boy. There's I'm one. A sc- I'm a school age boy. Like my presence or absence is not going to make one lick of difference but to this, Moon John. But this scientific doctor has allowed you to make the choice. So, well, I mean, that's because it's a choose your own adventure book, and we ay, make the choices. Ay. We make the choices. Yeah. This book is not like other books. <laughs> There's nothing you can do to help John. That's what I just said. You decide to stay with the expedition. Still, you feel pretty nervous as you watch the emergency runner start off across the silent, dusty landscape. Good luck, John, you whisper. <laughs> this time, you stay in the bus during the ascent over the rim of mountains. You clench your fists every time there's a bump. Before lunch, the bus is at the top of the rim, and you peer out of the port window across the sharp landscape of the moon. Since there is no real color to speak of, everything looks as though it's both near and far away at the same time. 
Going down is even worse than going up, but at least it goes faster. Almost before you realize it, you're back on flat ground. The bus makes good time, and soon, and soon you reach the first site for analysis, a temporary campus setup. You can feel the pressurization modules humming through the ground around the quote-unquote tents. The days pass and many samples are taken and analyzed. You become very familiar with the machine that grinds the stones down to a perfectly smooth polish on one side. After the excitement of the first day, a pleasantly dull routine takes over. The expedition spends about three days at each site. So many samples are taken that most have to be stored for later analysis back of the colony. By the time you reach the fourth site, you're almost a grizzled professional. That's when the excitement starts up again. Turn to page 29. Okay, I do have a... Qu- Can I just ask you a question? I know we're like we're coming up on the end of time here, Andrew, but... Mm-hmm. These seem like pretty perfunctory moon exploration missions. Yeah, do they really rise to the level of quest? Is that what you're wondering? mostly like how important is go out on the moon and grind up some rocks for analysis when we already have moon separatists? Like we've... (laughs) Yeah, I am... I feel like the because, whole politics angle might be in the tour guide plotline. Yeah, because John was I mean, he seemed pretty pro earth if I'm, you know, if I'm thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, he did. He's, yeah, okay. Maybe maybe one maybe once again we have we have made a choice that takes us into the less interesting vein of choices and now we're just doing like intern work when we could have been exploring the moon separatist plot line okay well we're gonna read this one i think this is it probably is this you or is this me this is wait this i think is, it's you i think this might be me yeah it's you um everyone is home. everyone Take is busy moon. working at their stations when dr nasir lets out a yell you see her jumping wildly up and down since she's usually so quiet and reserved. You decide to find out what is causing her excitement. By the time you get to her work area, a small crowd has gathered. So I place the sample into the shielded pouch, you hear her say. And then I thought nothing more of it. This was just a piece of radioactive rock unusual on the moon, but not unheard of. I gave it no thought until I started working on the sample here. And that is when I realized what it must be. You feel the crowd straining to hear her conclusion. (laughs) It was a remnant of a nuclear explosion, a piece of radioactive slag created when the incident occurred. Judging from the half-life of the primary isotopes and the amount of decay, I would say that the explosion happened at least 50,000 years ago. But that would mean before humans ever set foot on Luna, a voice starts before trailing (laughs) off. Exactly. Dr. Nasir exclaims, someone or something else besides humans set off the explosion that created the crater in which we live. Now it looks like we'll need to send for some archaeologists, too. She looks at you excitedly. I'm glad you're on board, she says. We have years of exciting work ahead of us. The end. And there's... I, what is she holding, Andrew? She's holding... It looks like a tube with a fish in it. It's got something like, inside of it, and I don't it's know... It's got eyeballs. Yes. It's got eyeballs. The text... That's not what, but that's not what des- is described in the text. The text is like a glowing piece of that radical rock, and it looks like uh, a moon it sperm. It looks like a moon fish. Like a moon, I, well, a moon sperm, sperm fish with eyes. Sure. And she's stoked. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's we got really excited about exploring moon politics because it's Anson Montgomery really staked out some 
ground there. He did. He did. And then we, and then we. Andrew, we I need like, you to turn to page 30 real quick and just okay. describe for our audience um, Mr. Cho's image here that is happening on. I can't tell if. It's a zoo. Mr. Mr. Cho is haunted by the ghosts of like students that he's slain or if he <laughs> has heads mounted in bubbles on his wall. He has a laptop computer that looks at least four inches thick. Yeah, he's got like Mr. There are several... Cho as played by Brian Cranston for some reason. Yes, there are several heads just like floating around. I'm just like flipping through those pages. There's a lot of go to the next page, go to the next page. There's a lot of dealing with delegates from Earth and things like that. It looks like um, unclear if there is what the like moon separatist plot line is it does seem to hinge on a particular MacGuffin. i'm already on page 50 there's emma with a top knot and a guy with a gun i don't know what's going on in this book why did em okay one we picked what we thought would be the more adventurous plot line but then we ended up being a lab assistant which was not no. As fun as I wanted it to be. Yes. Two, I don't know why Emma had a sister. I think Emma could have just been it. <laughs> I did love John, though. John, I'm glad we met John, even though he got pinned under a rock and was taking out the action almost instantaneously. Yes, he I'm was glad too cool was for this book. For, he was too beautiful to live. <laughs> and, okay, overall, though... Moon Quest. W- okay, can I just say, though, I really like about this book... The uh, time Anson Montgomery has put into thinking about what it would be like to be on the moon. From to be it, on the moon like 60 years in the future. Yes. Based on, yeah. And just like a lot of the everything from, oh, our our locomotion in our moon city means that we can like move around in cool ways to like... Oh, to the spider robot. To the spider robot. To just like notes about like when you look out at the landscape, the fact that like you, there are not the normal colors of the sun and the atmosphere. So it would change your perception. Like he clearly did some research and decided on a few key vibes about mm-hmm. what it would be like to grow up on the moon. And I dig it. I do like all the, the all the technology, which is like he looked around at the world that he lived in and he said, okay, the most technologically advanced thing that exists is a Game Boy. So <laughs> what's like a slightly better version of a Game Boy? Well, yeah, because there and weren't like, smartwatches I, I think about in that because he Because he specifically mentions the the communication watch being backlit. Yeah. It's like the people on the moon don't have to sit underneath a desk lamp to yes. get, to be able to see what's on their watch. It's like, oh, wow, there's a backlight in there? Also, MoonQuest predicted near-field communication because when you bump hmm. helmets, you can talk. That is true. That's true. Good it, job, MoonQuest. It's like when you, you take your Galaxy Note and you push it up against someone else's Galaxy Note and you can share mm-hmm. an image. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. Good job, Moon Quest. <laughs> Good job, Moon Quest. Good job, Moon Quest. When the moon hits your vest 
then it's what you like best. That's a moon quest. <laughs> That's going to do it for us here on this episode of sure Overdue. Is. This is one of the many Choose Your Own Adventure books where I feel like we could do a whole nother episode where we make other choices and yes. see if we find a different... The book The book that we were really excited about in the first three pages... Man, I want more moon separatists. I want more moon independence movement. Oh yeah. my god, there would be a moon independence movement. What if mm-hmm. everyone from Quebec just moved to the moon? <laughs> what if they all did like Braveheart and they all mooned the earth in protest? <laughs> Do you think people on the moon find it offensive when you say that you mooned someone? Mm, maybe they call it earthing up there. <laughs> okay tell us what you think life would be like for you on the moon email us at overduepod at gmail.com hit us up on social media at overduepod facebook twitter instagram that's the deal our theme song is composed by nick larandis thank you nick andrew folks want to know more about the show where do they go they go to overduepodcast.com which is our internet website up there we have links to the books that we have read the ones that we are going to read if you click those links you will find yourself transported as if by magic to a bookshop.org product page if you buy the book there you support us you support your local independent bookseller and you get a book yeah three good things you can actually if you if you have a local independent bookseller that's like listed on bookshop you can like navigate to their store directly and then still probably find the affiliate pages to like make sure it goes to them specifically Mm -hmm. which is really cool Mm -hmm. Uh, we have links to Apple, Google, RSS. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We are anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash overdue pod. Get bonus episodes early and also uh, episodes of our long read project. As usual <laughs> these days, I guess we're reading uh, M- Miguel de Cervantes's Don Quixote as translated by Edith, Gro- Edith Grossman. And we're having a pretty good time. Watching Don Quixote get his butt kicked by everybody and everything in the whole world. By the time this episode is airing, the combo episode for three and four should be on the made feed. So if you haven't gone back and listened to that, please do. Please catch up. We're having a good time. And our schedule, we're recording this episode a little early, so we don't have our June schedule finalized, but it should be on uh, the website and social by the time you're listening, please. June Quest. Oh, my good Lord. <laughs> Andrew, get us out of here. All right, everybody. Have fun on the moon. And until we talk to you next week, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.